Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to your health and well-being, featuring interviews with experts about nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food fact series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host. I'm a lawyer turned nutritionist with a passion for learning about how to live a vibrant life through practicing mindfulness and meditation, eating a nourishing healthy diet, and moving my body and sharing what I learn with you here on this podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I'll note that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Vibrant Life's podcast is not intended to be used to treat or prevent any injuries or medical conditions, and it is never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today I'm here with behaviour change specialist Dr Heather McKee. Heather lives in Dublin but speaks to us from France. Oh, hopefully in the not too distant future us Aussies will be able to travel too. Heather is interested in health-related behaviour change and the psychology behind what motivates people to adopt and stick to healthy goals. She has created excellent online courses to help people achieve lasting healthy habits And today we'll hear all about how to do just that. Today I am here with Heather McKee, a behavioural change specialist. And to start the podcast, I'd like to get to know a little bit about Heather. So Heather, welcome to Vibrant Lives podcast. Thanks for having me, Amanda. It's such a pleasure. So let's start with some quick fire questions. Heather, where did you grow up? Um, So I grew up in Dublin in Ireland. Um, so just by um, the Irish Sea there at the bottom of the Dublin Mountains. Oh, beautiful. And what is your favourite form of exercise? Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me think about that one. Um, I love walking and a horse riding. I'm going to be greedy too. <laughs> oh, horse riding. Wow, that sounds great. Um, and Heather, your go-to meal for dinner? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, because I'm in France at the moment, my go-to is a goat cheese salad. I just, everywhere I go, it's always different. And I just want to have one everywhere I go. (laughs) Oh, lucky you. What are you reading right now? I am reading a book called The Extended Mind. um, And it's all about how we actually think a lot with our bodies, not just with our brain. And um, even to the point, it's so interesting, like we're talking about people learn languages quicker when they gesticulate more. Um, because they're using their body to interpret languages um, better. So I've only just started it, so I won't, you know, give all the insights, but it's so interesting um, learning how kind of like our interceptive awareness affects our our bodies and the way way we think and the way we learn. Gosh, that sounds absolutely fascinating. There's so much to learn about our bodies and our brains, isn't there? And what are you enjoying listening to at the moment, either book, audio book, music? I'm going to be a really big nerd and say this morning I was listening to um, your podcast with Jessica Lee, which I just found so incredible, so inspiring. I think her work is incredible. I, I Yeah, I just really, really love that. Um, otherwise, I am I'm really enjoying the Happiness Lab by Larry Santos. Mm-hmm. Um, all about the science behind um, positive psychology. I really, really recommend it. If anyone hasn't checked it out, it's, I'm a big fan. Oh, that sounds great! And I'll put a link in the show notes. And Heather, your favourite holiday destination? Although it sounds like you might be in one. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah um yeah no I, I am lucky enough to be here at the moment but yeah I do I suppose yeah I, at the moment I France is one of my favorite places and um, I think if I could go anywhere in the world probably um Japan um mm-hmm. would be one of my favorite um places to visit so all being well and we can travel in the future to places as far from as Japan I would love to go Yes, I love Japan as well. So Heather, let's let's talk about your work. So you clearly have an interest in sport and physical activity as those are the areas in which you started your tertiary study. So where did that interest come from? Great question. I suppose like I actually <laughs> I remember laughing when I was in school and my career guidance teacher told me that you could do a degree in in sport science. Um, because I just thought oh, that sounds far too fun <laughs> to be a legitimate degree. Um, and yeah, I, I, I suppose I was, I was interested more in the physical activity element than the sport. I wasn't very, I, I, I think myself as more collaborative than competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then, it, it wasn't really a thing to be into like wellness or fitness. And, and so, you know, you're either into sport or not. And, and so, um, it was quite interesting, you know, going into um, both of my degrees where there's all these elite athletes and then, you know, me plodding along that just love to be well and stay well. And, <laughs> um, and and obviously now the tide has turned and there's so many people interested in wellness, which is it's just wonderful. But um, my kind of passion was making it accessible for everyone, you know, and I, I was quite interested in how do we help people with long term conditions and um, exercise? How do we help people? Um, with disabilities um, or limited abilities um, exercise and um, I think that was where my my passion for really kind of health promotion and behavior change um, came from. So you were you were ahead of your time really in in that way weren't you because as you said a lot of people attracted to that kind of study were athletes but you were thinking more broadly. I don't know I it's based on my class with Joke that I was behind my, I was behind everyone else because I wasn't into sports. <laughs> I still love sports. So, uh, you were running a healthy lifestyle clinic for hospital staff, and you noticed mm. that people often had great intentions and goals, but sticking to those goals was difficult. So, what were some of the reasons that you learned as to why it was difficult for people to stick to their goals? Yeah, uh, this. You really did your research, Amanda. I love it. Um, I uh, yeah, it was it was for people with metabolic syndrome. So anyone who had kind of diabetes, was struggling with um, heart conditions or anything else, and we had the best nutritionists and the best physical activity experts, and yet we couldn't make people's changes stick. And I found this incredibly frustrating after spending years learning about like you know the benefits of exercise and nutrition and everything else, and thinking everyone would be as excited and wanting to change, you know, things as much as I was. Um, and and so what I did was I actually sat down with all 60 people in the clinic and um, talked through, you know, um, what was it that was holding them back? And and this is really what got me hooked on um, health behaviour change was that everyone's kind of reasons were different. Yes, there were some themes, but everyone had their own individual barriers um, that were holding them back. And actually, you know, it, you can have all the perfect, I like to think of diet and exercise and sleep tips and stress management as the ingredients in the recipe for change. Um, but ultimately, behavior change psychology is to methodology. So it's how you take these ingredients and it's how you apply them 
to your life. And that's ultimately the recipe for health because a lot of people don't know what to do with the ingredients or, you know, they know about the ingredients, but they don't know how to apply it to their complex, busy lives with all their barriers and past histories and everything else. And so I really felt like understanding more about people's barriers and and what got in their way and also what helped them and all of that behavioral psychology piece um, that I kind of unlocked at that time and really gave me an insight into really how to support people to change. Yeah, that's really fascinating because, as you say, you can have the ingredients. We all know it's healthy to move our bodies and to go for a walk or a run or whatever we like to do. But you're right, just knowing that and doing it, there can be a gap between those two things. And I guess that's where you come in. Uh, So you became fascinated about the psychology behind motivation and you went on to do a PhD. So what were you looking at in your PhD? Um, I was looking at ultimately um, psychology of behaviour change. And I was looking at why some people are able to stick to their habits long term, their healthy habits, and why so many other people failed. Um, and it was it was fascinating because what we looked at, we looked at multiple things. We looked at how people manage their goals, how people manage temptation, what kind of skills people had. Um, and ultimately it led to an intervention where we trained people in key psychological factors that we knew from the research and from our past studies were best supportive of people to maintain their habits long term versus a typical diet and exercise program that people would get. And what we found was actually when they were given the psychological skills alone, so they weren't allowed to change their exercise or change their diet necessarily. Um, they they lost as much weight. They had as much increase in positive markers of anxiety, of depression, of um, mindful awareness, of all different um, markers of vibrancy as those that actually had an intervention that looked at just their diet and exercise. And so it's really interesting because it showed us that, you know, the power of psychology before you even do anything to do with, you know, changing the way you eat or changing the way you move, actually changing your psychology has such a powerful impact on all these physiological measures and psychological measures too. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. I mean, weight loss is an absolutely perfect example of that because I think most people, or many people at least, know that uh, losing weight is difficult. But in fact, the research shows that the losing weight bit is not necessarily the hardest bit. The hardest bit is keeping the weight off, which obviously involves, Mm. I would say, um, some kind of habit change. So that ties into what you said about um, the power of psychology. Specifically when it comes to weight loss, what are some of the reasons why it's hard for people to to keep the weight off or to change their habits? What are some of the barriers there? Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, I honestly, like I believe it's because we're we're taught a lot of myths, myths, or we have a lot of beliefs. Um, around what works um, for habit change that are, are quite misinformed. Um, and I always think, you know, before we kind of set out in any journey to change your habits, we need to know what those beliefs that we hold are. And then often I, I tend to do a talk um, for companies on this about the myths of habit change. And, um, you know, one of them is there's kind of five key myths, um, but I could bore you all day with them, but I'll, I'll give you an example of, of one of them. But you know, we believe that um, 
you know, we have to set ourselves a big outcome goal, you know, to be able to be successful. So we believe that we need to set us ourselves a goal around a certain number on the scales or, you know, maybe it's a um, certain number in time in a race or, you know, a certain number of steps on our fitness tracker. And and all of these things are helpful at the start. And exactly like you said, Amanda, you know, they can be helpful to an extent. But actually, when it comes to long term maintenance, they're not necessarily what is going to keep us going in the trenches. And these are called extrinsic motivators or outcome goals. Mm-hmm. And even they found in, you know, Olympic gold medal athletes that are so obsessed with, you know, getting to a particular outcome goal. When they get there, the joy of being there is fleeting. And we often see this in weight loss. You know, people get to a certain weight in the scales and they're like, yes. And then they put themselves under pressure to step it up and step it up and lose more and do more. And actually, that's when things start to um spiral and they put too much pressure on themselves and actually they're not enjoying pursuing their goal anymore they're pursuing it just for this number alone whereas you know what what we've seen in the literature is that those that have formed goals for intrinsic reasons and intrinsic um translates into the latin word for inward which means goods for our soul and I, i love that word because it's like if people follow goals because they're part of who they are because they're meaningful for them because they personally represent something that's important to them in their lives they're the type of people that are much more likely to sustain those goals long term and so instead of you know um it's not just about losing weight to get a number on the scales. It's losing weight because it gives you more energy, because it allows you to be the person that you want to be. It allows you to play with your kids or your grandkids. It allows you, you know, eating a better diet allows you to focus better at work. It allows you to show up better for the people you love. It allows you to sleep more. It allows you to be more yourself in your life. And, and, and ultimately, you know, intrinsic motivation it's that motivation that is tied up with your values your sense of self your sense of identity who you see yourself in the world because ultimately what is the point of following any goal that isn't aligned with who you want to be and what you wish to create in the world and what we've seen time and time again in studies is that those that have those habits that are formed through for intrinsic reasons are much more likely to stick to them so I always say to anyone who's starting off and any kind of health goal journey is to start with why why is this important to you? And so instead of it becoming, you know, a number on it, your, your fitness tracker, if you can ask yourself, you know, why often enough? And I often say, you know, it takes five whys to get to your true why. So, so your goal is to get fitter. And, um, you know, why is it important to get, for you to get fit? Okay, I want to have more energy. But why is that important? Well, because I want to make more of a contribution at home and at work. Why is that important? Because actually someone that makes a difference in the world, be it at work, be it at home, be it in my community is something that's quite important to me I want to be able to make a contribution and then you know instead of it being getting a certain time in a race being fitter just takes on a whole new meaning for people and it it becomes embedded in in part of who they are. I can really understand why that could be very motivating because I think also the culture that we live in now we have so much access to images and information people I think can become obsessed perhaps with comparing themselves to others mm-hmm. and they're they're not not intrinsic goals you really need to focus on how you want to be as a person as you say and and let that be your motivating factor heather while we're talking about goals because that's one of your areas of expertise is setting goals that lead to lasting change 
Let's take a step right back to the very basics and can you tell us why is having a goal important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, you know, goals help you um, direct your your attention in one way. They're almost like the organization system um, for your, your life's intentions. And I think that's really, really important that, you know, we we start to understand our goals a little bit better. But like like I just said, you know, it's not just about those extrinsic goals. Yes, we can have numbers related goals, but anytime we're setting a goal, it's very, very important to understand, well, what does this give me back in my life? You know, what what does it allow me to be? Who does it allow me to be in, in life? And I think that's very, very important. I think the other key thing when it comes to, to setting goals is, um, and something that we saw in our studies is that, when we start out, so let's take January as an example, or even, you know, um, over here in um, in Europe, you know, a lot of people see September as kind of a mini reboot and a, a mini reset. And I suppose for you guys as well, going into summer might feel uh, that way as well. And we assume, you know, we, we often want to make all of the changes when this time of the new time of year rolls around. So, you know, we want to go to the gym every day. We want to cut down on sugar. We want to save more money we want to go on social media less we want to be nicer other halves you know all of the things and actually the more goals we add in the more we take away from our focal goal and it's a concept in psychology known as goal dilution um, and the more we dilute our effectiveness and the interesting thing about this is that approaching your goals in this way it uses up your willpower and ultimately it makes you less likely to re- to succeed mm-hmm. because willpower is like a muscle so if you train it it becomes um oh you know if I go to the gym every day for the next week and just train my left bicep by the time I get to the end of the week I wouldn't be able to even lift up like a cup of tea or a glass of water but um you know if I give myself adequate rest and recovery if I go once a week for the next seven weeks it's much more likely that that's going to build a habit um than you know I kind of blow out all my willpower in the first week mm. and so you know the, the same goes for adopting any goal or, or, you know, creating habits around your goals is that it needs to be a gradual process in order for it to be sustainable. It needs to be achieved through consistent, small and positive changes to your life. Because interestingly, the research shows that it's these smaller, simpler actions that mm-hmm. actually become habits more quickly. And so I always say to people, instead of trying to do everything at once when you start off with a goal and um, focus on making one small change and doing that consistently. I would like to talk about that in a bit more detail, but you Mm. mentioned um, goal dilution, you know, having, you know, for example, in September in Europe or perhaps in January for our New Year's resolutions, we want to do 10,000 things to make ourselves better. (laughs) So how many goals then do you think it's realistic to have? What's a good number of goals? That is a really interesting question. So if it comes to your health, what they found, and I, I'm going to be really honest here, what they found is you can only really pursue one thing well at yeah, a time. And, and interesting that a lot of the habit research is based, well, there, there was one interesting study where they got people, um, they tried to help them create flossing habits. Um, and they got them to floss their, their teeth after they brushed their teeth every night. So the brushing their teeth was an anchor point. It was a habit that they'd well people had well established. It's something that um, you know, they they did time and time again. So they piggybacked flossing onto the back of this. But they they told people that they only had to floss one tooth. Um, and and it, why it feels laughably small and we all giggle at it. Actually, you know, making those goals so tiny. Um 
really help people then engage with it because once people did the one tooth they thought oh well, I'm here anyway I might as well do a couple more and and that's actually what really helps in terms of long-term habit change you know we think that it's insignificantly small but cumulatively over time that has a big impact but the key is that that's that change is so small it doesn't feel too punishing or restrictive and therefore it doesn't use up too much of our you know precious willpower and mm-hmm. um, and I like to call these small changes bite-sized changes because yes. they're so small that you know they're so approachable they feel like you know just small bite-sized um but the thing is if we pursue multiple goals at once you know we are spreading our willpower too thinly and so what we need to do is start with one small I say often, you know, if it doesn't pass a giggle test, if it's not laughably small enough, you know, it might not be um, small enough. And and that, what it does over time is that actually builds your self-efficacy, your self-confidence, because every time you follow through on that small change, you are you represent to yourself that you are someone that follows through with your goals, that you are someone that succeeds. And, and over time, that compounds. And, and then you can start to make things a little bit more difficult. But the problem is we all rush at it at the start and we use up all our willpower and all our motivation because we're super motivated at the start. But we have to play the long game. We have to think about, you know, I always say, you know, Amanda, it's not like you lay in bed, you know, this morning before you woke up and and, and weighed up the pros and cons of dental hygiene or decided if you're motivated <laughs> enough to brush your teeth or or anything else. You know, you did it because it's a habit that you had. And, and that's the beauty of habits. Like it's in their non-conscious processes. We do them automatically. Yes. But if we want to establish a habit over time, you know, we need to make it easy enough for ourselves to want to engage with it often enough that we repeat it that it becomes a non-conscious process and it's not like you know we just brush our teeth in January and then our dental hygiene is done for the rest of the year (laughs) you know we need to keep at these things and I I think it's very important that when people are setting a goal that they look at this as a lifelong goal yes you know they look at well how do I set this up in a way that's going to support me for this year for next year for beyond rather than just for this period of time or for this three or four weeks and so that's why you know it's very important to break down our goals into habit yes we might have a goal of getting fitter but what does that look like on a day-to-day basis so to start with you you find a very or as you say a bite-sized habit to start implementing Mm. your goal how do you go along adding to that habit and how do you know when you're ready to I guess, extend that habit to, for example, you floss two teeth instead of one or um, you run um, two kilometres instead of one. Does does that sort of happen naturally or should we have timelines for our goals or how do you suggest we we um, move along that, that path? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a really good question. Um, and unfortunately, there it isn't as formulaic as we like to think. Mm. Um, and, and, and it's all about experimentation. Because the thing is, if, if we feel, you know, a week or two and we feel confident and we start doing a little bit more, but actually, you know, for example, one thing a lot of people do, you know, um, when they start out healthy eating is they, you know, they, they, they do everything at once so they 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 end up eating you know steamed fish and broccoli every night and <laughs> and they and then after a week or two they get quite bored of that it's very hard to do and 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 so it it, it is very much y- you independently actually growing your habit muscle and your experimentation muscle and saying okay actually now this is too much for me because now I'm not wanting to engage in this habit mm-hmm. anymore 
I'm actually, you know, um, slacking off on it a little bit. Um, and I think that's its importance um, to understand that about yourself because it's very important on your habit change journey to fail. Failure is one of the most valuable oh. things on your journey. And so if you find that actually, you know, as, if you if you've got a week or two and you're fasting one or two or three teeth a night or um you know and then you go and you say well now I have to floss them all because I've started doing more and actually that's making you less likely to engage in the habit then going back to and um, the small steps will help you um but you know it's it's okay to set timelines around particular goals but the important thing is that we're not rushing ourselves into it because what we're we're looking here is to create long term change it's not just about change for a season it's not just about change for a particular wedding or event or birthday mm-hmm. coming up it's about change for life and so if you commit to the fact that you're actually going to be doing this for life then you can start to give yourself permission to try things, get things wrong. Um, Another example is, you know, if we're trying to set up a meditation habit and maybe we think, oh, well, we all have to do 10 or 20 minutes because that's what we're told to do. And maybe we think we need to do it in the morning because having the perfect morning routine is what we hear, you know, healthy people do. But if you're trying to get your kids out of out of bed in the morning and get them ready for school, you know, that might not be the best time of day for you. And 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 maybe actually for you, it's just when you boil the kettle and everyone's gone to school in the morning or everyone's sat down to do their work in the morning. And it's those three minutes that you do to take your breath each morning. And you start with that. And then over time, you know, you feel quite confident doing that. And you feel like actually around lunchtime is another time that I want to, you know, start bringing in my breath practice, mm-hmm. my meditative practice. Um, and you experiment with that. And, and I think habit formation is all about a series of experiments over time. You gain that feedback, you look at what works, and then you look at growing that slowly then over time. Um, and as cheesy as it sounds, you know, it's about it's about the journey. It's about the process rather than, you know, just a particular outcome. And that's the difference between habits and goals. It's about, you know, setting things up in a way to make them as easy enough to repeat so then they become non-conscious just mm-hmm. like toothbrushing they're just something you naturally do so heather you mentioned failure being part of it so if we do fail for example if we are trying to cut down on sugar mm-hmm. and then we eat a chocolate bar um or we are trying to meditate and we have a day where we we don't at all I mean, I think it's a common response sometimes when we fail to think, oh, this is all too hard and just completely abandon it. So how do you suggest we reset ourselves to get back on the pathway? Yeah, got a wonderful question. I love that. Um, yeah, and it was interesting because in one of our studies we found, like we examined long-term maintainers, so those people that were able to maintain their healthy habits long-term over years versus those that maybe maintain them for a while and then relapse. Um, and, and the difference was that those who were successful at sticking to long-term health goals, they had a different outlook of, on failure. So once they did something contradictory to their goals, they looked to learn from it. So they examined why they gave in to temptation. You know, was it because they were if they had a chocolate bar? Was it because they were hungry or stressed or tired or bored or emotional? And what we what we did um, then in our subsequent studies was we looked at, well, when did people give in to temptation most and why? So we got them to track their temptations. So then they understood a little bit more about, OK, there's certain times of day that I'm more vulnerable. There's certain times when actually certain emotions drive me to give in to temptation. And it was that curiosity around that that really helped um 
those individuals actually learn from their failure over time to make them success. And the interesting thing is like, you know, these, it's, I always say, and, and, and I, it, it comes from, um, and I can't take credit for this, but it comes from a quote from James Clear, which is about habit change is about system change. You know, if you failed, it's not you that's failed, it's your system that's right. failed. And if you can change your system, then change can happen for you. And so it's really important that people look at themselves rather than berate themselves about mm-hmm. a lack of willpower. Understand that, you know, we all give in to temptation. Every human is going to give in to temptation. But understanding that that's a temporary lapse and actually you know your valued your deep intrinsic goal is worth more than yeah. you know straying just because of one temporary lapse yeah. and actually examining why you've strayed and how you could overcome that in the future is so important and and there's a specific technique um for doing that um which i can explain if, if it's helpful yeah and, sure um so there's there's loads of research on this actually hundreds of studies have shown that having a plan uh, a fa- I like to call it a failure plan because, you know, let's, let's get comfortable with the word failure because we're all going to fail. We're all human. That's part of our human day- DNA. Um, but it's, it's, it's known as in psychology as implementation intentions. Um, and that's been consistently linked with long term habit adherence. So basically, it's about, you know, understanding our triggers more. So when do we give in to temptation most and why? Maybe it's a particular time of day, maybe it's a particular emotion. I would say to people track that for a week, you'll see some interesting patterns. In our research, we found most people were tempted at 3.30 or 8.30 um, in, in the day and the evening. Um, but, you know, once you know that, um, then, you know, we, we all know, you know, for the reasons that we tend to fail, you know, they tend to be the same things time and time again for us. Um, but implementation intention planning involves a creating a plan of action for when you go off track because of a certain trigger. So it helps you anticipate the failures and deal with them more successfully or successfully. And so what it is, is is about asking yourself if X happens. So if that big um, barrier gets in the way, then I will do Y. So for example, if I'm trying to set up a fitness habit or a running habit, and and, and like the day you've had um, today in Australia, Amanda, like, um, you know, you go to go out and it's raining. Yeah. Um, you know, what are the other options for you in that situation? You know, especially here in, in well, it's certainly in Ireland anyway. Um, you know, if you say to yourself, well, if it's raining, I can't go for a run, then you're not <laughs> going to go running very often at all. <laughs> and so you've got to have an alternative plan in that situation. So if it rains, when you want to go for a run, what are your alternatives? Do you have an exercise class that you can watch on demand um, that, you know, you really enjoy at that time? Do you reschedule um, for a time later in that day? What's the second best time for you every day to go for a run if you can't go at the time that works best for you? Um, you know, having a list of alternatives is yeah. really, really important because it gets us away from that all or nothing mindset. Yes. It also opens up our brain to like new neurological pathways because it shows us that it isn't just one option or the other. There are multiple different options in another situation. So I say to everyone, ask themselves, what are your biggest barriers? And then come up with a list of two, three alternatives for that barrier. And that can really help you overcome this kind of perfectionist syndrome that we all have yeah. when it comes to habit change and overcome that kind of all or nothing mindset. That's fascinating. I really like the sound of that because, well, I've never done it. I have a bit of an all or nothing approach to, to, to goals, um, which I need to modify clearly. 
Um, but I like that because if you think of the alternatives and have them written down or in your diary or something, um, mm. when things don't go as planned, then you don't have to spend all that energy thinking of the alternative. You've got them written there. I think that's a brilliant. It sounds simple, but it's so clever. Well, I hope you're finding my chat with Dr. Heather McKee informative. There are certainly some takeaways for me. Just a quick interlude to let you know about my new website, which you can find at www.vibrantlivespodcast.com. At the bottom of every page on my website, you'll see a box where you can subscribe to my soon-to-launch newsletter, where I'll let you know about interesting developments in the world of health and well-being, my latest podcast episodes and more, but I do promise not to be spammy. So please sign up and help me create a Vibrant Lives community. So now back to Dr. Heather McKee. Another thing that I know you talk about is modifying your environment to make your small habit changes easier. So for example, I I think this is what you're referring to. So if you're trying to eat less uh, sugary food, then presumably you try not to have chocolate in your pantry or something like that. Is that what you mean by um, modifying your environment? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Like, I think you bring up a really important point. And the reason that I love modifying your environment is because it doesn't require willpower. So, you know, we think that, you know, we we get home from a long day at work and, you know, or, you know, we've had a hard day um, working from home and, um, we go into the kitchen, you know, if the first things we see are, you know, high calorie um, foods, you know, naturally as human beings, we're going to preferentiate them, especially if we've been suffering from period of stress. And and so it's, it's, it's much easier to, to not say to yourself, well, no, I'm not going to have them and just rely on your willpower in that mm-hmm. situation when you're already depleted. It's actually a lot easier to change your environment. Um, and, and what they found in studies is actually those that have the most willpower are actually those that use it the least because they've set up their environment yeah. to support their success. While we're on the topic of willpower, can you explain to us, I guess in quite basic terms, what willpower is and why it is that we can't rely on it um, to get us through to achieving all of our goals? Yeah, Um willpower I suppose you can call it self-control or um, in ways it's kind of your own personal self-regulation and this is where you know as I said I mentioned before about making small changes but it's certainly where a lot of people fall down because they they rely too much on their willpower and then when they fail they feel like they failed as a person whereas you know your willpower will fail that is absolutely guaranteed Um, and so it's very very important that people understand that willpower is is you know as soon as you're fatigued, as soon as you're stressed, as soon as you have an argument with your boss or your other half, you know, your willpower is threatened. And so it's much more like you'll give in to temptation. And and so what we want to do is exactly like you said, Avanti, you know, like set up our environment for success. So, you know, make our healthiest foods the ones that we see first. Make our, you know, roll out our yoga mat lasting at night so that it's set up there in the morning that we almost have to trip over it, you know, to get on and do anything else that we want to do in our day. Maybe, um, you know, put your, your meditation journal on top of your laptop. So you have to remove that to get to your laptop. What, what they found in, in studies is proximity determines, um, you know, the behaviours that you engage with. And they found in one interesting study, they gave um, 
people in offices and um, they gave them um, sweets that were visible on their desks and then they gave the other half sweets that were um, six feet away and those that had them visible and in, in arm's reach were um, I think they ate 400 calories more of sweets a week or, or maybe I'm getting the numbers wow. wrong but they ate significantly more sweets a week than those that were six foot away because they had to they increase the friction by putting them further away. And that's what it's all about. And, um, you know, it, it, for example, if you're trying to cut down on your, uh, your, your TV watching, let's just say, and you walk into your living room and your entire living room is set up to watch the TV, you know, your remote's by your hand, the TV is facing you, all of your furniture is facing the TV. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult to resist. But if you put the remote in a special box, if you plug out the TV every night, if you have a code that you have to enter to actually watch the TV, if you move things around, you know, in your home environment, you're just increasing friction. I always say you want to decrease the friction to those habits that you want to engage with and increase the friction to those you don't want to. And a primary example of this is our digital environments. If you open your phone right now, Amanda, or any of your listeners open their phone, what is it that you see on your homepage? What are the notifications that you get? Are they, if you're wanting to meditate or get fit or whatever your habits have to be, are they around that? You know, are you getting notifications on engaging in meditation or daily quotes? Or if you want to create a reading habit, is the first app you see on your phone around reading? Because, you know, where the attention goes, the brain follows. Yes. And so if we can engineer our environment to support um, our habits, it makes it much more likely that we'll actually engage in those habits. And we need to keep those habits visible. We need to keep them in eye line. And we need to decrease the friction to engaging in those ones that matter to us. That's great advice. I like your advice about, I guess, harnessing um, tools like our phone, which we all look at all the time, to help us rather than hinder us with our habits because it's very easy to look at your phone and get carried away um, looking at social media or checking your emails or whatever it is. But if you have those notifications turned off and your, I don't know, meditation app or something like that pinging a little reminder to you, yeah, that's a, that's a really good idea. You're full of good ideas, Heather. I like this. <laughs> um, we've, we've been talking a little bit about failure it is important and how people how we can reset if we do fail and Mm -hmm. making changes to make success more likely so in terms of succeeding at our goals and perhaps at the small steps along the way how do we measure success how do we know when we're doing a good job Uh, it's such a good question I would take a different stance on this than normal. So a lot of people would use particular stats to measure success. And 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 absolutely, if you find that that's something that positively motivates you. And I would, I would say to anyone, like, do you do an audit on any kind of outcome-based goals that you do? So if you step on this, for example, like, you know, if your weight loss is a goal that you have in mind and you step on the scales and it tells you, you know, what you want one day and you're happy and it tells you maybe what you don't want one day you know are you able to have the resilience to get back on the scales again some people do and they find in studies that some people through daily weighing can actually you know help um it helps them normalize the fact that there are fluctuations in their ways but if that's something that's going to throw you off track then that's not necessarily going to be the best way of you measuring success and so 
for many people and, and something that I advocate for measuring success is we measure success in consistency um, and we measure success in feedback. And what I mean by that is, you know, two, three weeks in, how are you feeling? How is your your habit making you feel? Is it bringing more joy to your life? What are you gaining from engaging in this? And these are a little bit more esoteric. They're harder to measure. But an example would be, you know, that your daily walk is giving you more energy, that actually, you know, eating um, a sitting breakfast is improving your focus in work. Um, I would say, you know, start to be a bit of a habit detective and ask yourself, you know, what is this giving me back in my life right now? Because if it's taking away, then it's not going to be, you know, the habit that's going to best support you. But if you feel like it's starting to give back and it's giving you different things, and the important thing here, Amanda, is you're training your brain to actually you know, look for those rewards, to look for those things. So if you tell yourself, you know, if you, you're starting to notice that your daily morning walk is, is giving you more energy, you're training your brain then to look for the energy it's giving you. And that's actually helping you receive more of a reward. It's training that dopamine response in your brain. That's actually the learning hormone. And so your brain starts to understand, okay, well, this is something I want to do and I want to do more of. And what's interesting um, about this is if we start training our brains to engage with the joy that our daily habits give us and um, it's much more like that we're going to stick to them long term because as I said dopamine is a learning hormone so if we're getting joy from engaging in certain things as opposed to you know oh I didn't you know have sugar which is not really necessarily a joyful behavior <laughs> saying well I, I did I did have fruit instead or I went for a walk instead of sitting on the couch you know actually that's where people go wrong a lot of the times with their habits because they focus on the hardest thing or what they didn't do and it doesn't give them that positive dopamine response whereas if they focus on the joy that they're getting you know the the calm feeling they're getting after engaging in a breathing exercise they're training their brain to look out for that feeling and therefore next time that they feel a little bit stressed their brain's going to remind them oh I remember what you did in this situation you did this calm breathing um a technique and that made you feel you know more positive so I would say you know if outcome measures if certain outcome measures help support you then that's absolutely fine keep those measures but on top of that look for what this what your your habits are giving you back in your life and train your brain to be engaged with that and the way that you can train your brain is to celebrate that and so if your goal is you know just to drink more water every time you have a glass of water take a second and either you know you can you can throw up your hands in victory you can tell someone in your house that you've drank another glass of water depending on what type of person you are but you know or even you can just put your hand on your heart and say I'm someone that follows through my goals or just feel good for two three four five seconds technique called savoring from positive psychology it's training our brains to actually understand that what we've done is a positive behavior and that we want to repeat it more often in the future and ultimately as well it makes you feel good about engaging in your habits and who doesn't want to feel good about engaging in what they're doing it sounds a bit like being kind to yourself because if you had a friend or a family member who was trying to pursue a goal and they were making some successful inroads, you'd be happy for them and you'd say, you know, well done, you'd encourage them. So it's nice to think about that in terms of trying to encourage ourselves and, and be kind to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Heather, you have uh, formulated a special course called the Bite Size Habits course. 
It's something that people can access on your website. So can you tell us, let's talk about that a bit. But first of all, um, I think you've, you've probably answered this, but let's hear it again. Why have you called it the Bite Size Habit Course? What's, what does Bite Size mean? Yeah. So Bite Size is all about not biting off more than you can chew. Mm. Um, it's all about making those small changes. And what we ultimately know from the research is that small changes are what build cumulatively over time big results. And then they're what's going to protect your long-term success best. Yeah, that it makes perfect sense when you explain it. And but it's very interesting to hear that because I think a lot of people, and I've certainly been guilty of this over the years, um, make a huge goal and don't actually know how to get from point A to point B being the goal. <laughs> Heather, if someone wanted to take your bite size habit course, how long does it take to complete it? It's around eight weeks. Um, to start with and that's that's just really to build the foundations of habit change but I, I I really say if you race your pace yeah so it's very important to kind of go at your own pace and and, and each individual is different so I, I I there's eight weeks of materials but ultimately it's for people to to, to take it at their own pace and the key kind of elements really of it are that they they get access to my habit blueprint and my habits framework, um, which are really, really important elements of um, behavior change. And, and, and the framework is, is kind of the things that we've talked about um, mm-hmm. today. So there's kind of four key pillars, which is the mindset habit. So mastering your mindset, it's such a huge component of creating long-term change. So we start by identifying the myths or the beliefs that are holding you back and help you realize those true drivers of your habits. And then we move on to the kindness habit. Um, and as you so rightly pointed out, Amanda, you know, like self-punishment is hampers your success. So it's really important that we give people the tools to create self-kindness habits to actually improve their motivation and their ability to stick to their goals. And um, then we look at the mindful habit, which is all about your thoughts and emotions and how they can drive your habits. So it's really important to know how to cultivate intuition and attention needed to overcome temptations. And then finally, um, the part that's really important to me is the maintenance habit. Yeah. So the key to seeing those lasting changes is that consistency. So maintenance is, is so important to me. So giving people the tools to actually help them, support them, create those long-term changes is very, very important. Excellent. And how is your course delivered if someone wants to access it? So it's all delivered um, online. So it's just at bitesizehabits.co and that's .co. Um, And yeah, you can find out more about the course. Actually, at the moment as well, I have a a lovely little free challenge um, that's that's running. If anyone's just interested in just dipping their toe in and understanding more about what it takes to kickstart habit change, um, there's a five-day bite-size habits challenge. Um, which is kind of five videos teaching you the theory of kickstarting your healthy habits, daily emails to hold you accountable. And um, each day I'll just ask people one simple question that takes no longer than 60 seconds to answer, but have a really big impact on their habits. And yeah, people can follow along that for free as well at bitesizehabits.co if they want to understand a little bit more about um, health behaviour change. Oh, that sounds great. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. And just to give, I guess, a flavour of what it's all about, let's look at a common habit that people might want to implement or break. And perhaps you can give us a few pointers on how to approach that. So I think a pretty popular 
habit that people would want to, in this case, break would be to spend less time on social media. So how would you go about that? Yeah, great question. Um, So what I would do, first of all, is I get people to examine the cues. So when do they give in to going on social media most in their day? So again, like we talked about a temptation diary. So when does this show up most? What's the why behind it? Why are you engaging in it? Like what's driving you to engage in it? Is it at a ter- certain time of day you get, you know, stuck at a, on a project with work? Is it a distraction? Is it a procrastination tool? Is it something that you actually use out of stress or anxiety? Is it driven by loneliness and deeper, deeper reasons? And bring people through ways in which they can kind of really understand um, those key drivers. But one simple way that anyone can do that is, you know, creating a temptations tracker and just asking themselves, when do I most give into this habit and mm-hmm. why? And once we kind of understand the whys behind it, we can start to put measures in place. So we can start to put environmental measures in place. So, you know, we can we can change what notifications we're getting. And we can we can change where that app appears on our phone. And we can also then maybe schedule our social media time. So when do we want it? it? it appear in our day it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to get rid of it altogether you know we might look at well when is it most useful for me to go online and connect with others and um, we also need to also very very importantly at the start understand well what's the why behind this as well you know why is it important for me to spend less time on social media mm. and what does that give me back in my life so what are the other things that I can attend to by not engaging in this you know, maybe it's that you want to be more attentive to your children or more attentive with your job. Maybe you're finding that you're being more susceptible to social comparison. Um, and so asking yourself, you know, the why behind it is very, very important. And then starting small. So not telling yourself you're going to give up social media altogether because that can be very, very difficult to start with. But maybe starting with, you know, deciding, well, when are you giving in to it most in a maladaptive way? When is it least helpful in your mm-hmm. life? So maybe it's first thing in the morning, you know, when you wake up, you're not enjoying the way you get engaged with social media at that time. Um, and instead of trying to do it for all of the morning, maybe just start with the first 15, 20, 30 minutes of your day and, and see how that goes for a week. And if that feels laughably easy, then you can step it up to 45 minutes or to an hour. But if you find that that's becoming too difficult, don't be worried about stepping back down for a while again. Um, and you've got these other tools and techniques that you're layering on. So you're layering on, you know, well, what time of day is the best for me to go on social media? And, and then start to think about, well, what maybe what part of my house is the best for me to go on social media? And then you can set up your environment around, oh, well, I actually go, only go on social media when I'm in this environment. So, for example, if we go back to the toothbrushing example, it's not like we brush our teeth in the kitchen and the living room and everywhere else. You know, we just do it in a certain environment. So if we can set things up in a way that actually just do certain behaviors in certain environments, it makes it less likely that that phone's going to come with you everywhere and you're going to get engaged in that social media habit in the same way. And the final thing I would say for people to ask themselves is when and where am I going to perform, you know, um, any kind of, new elements of this or any type of reducing your social media so any habit that you've got always ask yourself when and where I'm going to perform it it takes it kind of out of the clouds and puts it into the everyday life so you know is it first thing in the morning on a Monday on a Wednesday and on a Friday at 8 a.m after my alarm goes off I will you know um 
do my meditation practice instead of doing my doing social media um what whatever it ha- whatever habit we're trying to create asking ourselves when and where it's going to show up in our lives and experimenting with the when and where that's best for you is really really important in terms of actually creating that consistency and creating that accountability to our habits mm. what i'm hearing through our whole conversation and what i really like is we have to be quite practical and proactive about changing habits it's not just a thought like i want to get fit or something mm. like that it really needs you really need to spend some time thinking about how to implement all the steps along the way and creating an environment where it's most likely that you're going to do those small changes absolutely and the great thing about that is i imagine it has flow on effects to other parts of your life because you've built the skill set and you're feeling more confident and so then i imagine it encourages people to take on other healthy habits absolutely yeah definitely and that's the thing if you can build your self confidence in yourself efficacy if you can build your skills that has impact on all sorts of other areas of your life and actually it's funny that you say that because that's what a lot of people say you know, they say, oh, well, I started exercising wasn't even the habit I was focusing on, but I've just started naturally exercising more and um, improving my sleep wasn't the habit I wasn't particularly focusing on. But that just naturally started mm. to happen for me. And, and you do get this cascade effect over time. Oh, that's fantastic. I think it's time to start wrapping up this wonderful conversation. So I've got a couple of questions I like to ask at the end of the podcast episode. And first of all, because it's relevant in this day and time, how has the COVID pandemic impacted your work? I suppose in positive ways and negative ways. In negative ways, it's we're all feeling, you know, it's it's missing people. Yeah. I, I, you know, behavior changes all about humans and human behavior. And I do, um, you know, I, I do, I do everything from home now, everything's digital. Um, and so, you know, I suppose that why I was saying that those feedback calls with course participants um, lit me up so much because, you know, it was just so nice to meet different people in different areas and, 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 and chat to them about their own lives and their own habits. And I do miss um, that ability to I'm do sure. that. Um, in, in in a positive way, I feel like, you know, um, I do a lot of talks around ha- healthy habit change and I've been lucky enough to been being able to do them consistently during COVID and normally where I would have had to fly to a certain company or I would have had to travel to a certain place, I, I don't have to do that commute anymore. And and the beautiful thing is that actually we can, I always say that my talks are, are unlimited. I never limited commitment numbers. And, and so I can just, reach and support so many more people now and um, that the, that we will move to this digital world rather than as many people could fit in a room before um so you know I, I really feel very very lucky and um, to have that opportunity and this platform to help support people and yeah. to create those healthy habits that has definitely been one of the silver linings i think of COVID: the use of digital technology to connect um heather who inspires you Oh, great question. Um, I have to say Brené Brown because yeah. she is a total geek. I'm, I'm well, I'm a, definitely a total geek like her, and um, I love kind of you know nerding out in the evidence space. But one of my key passions is how we make it accessible for everyone else who's not a researcher, who hasn't spent you know far too long in university, um, and and then how do we you know take those findings that are normally only talked about in research groups or in research journals and make them accessible to everyone else? And I, I think 
that's why Brené Brown is so um, inspiring to me because it's exactly what she does and I just feel like everything she talks about is gold and I learned so much and much from her. Yeah, I agree. I think she's wonderful. And you're right. I mean, it's it's one thing to have all this wonderful research going on, but if it's not delivered and put into practical application for the average person, then what's the point in a way? Mm, yeah, um, and that's, uh, that's actually the reason I left academia and started my own business, because I you know, I really just wanted to be able to translate things to people um, in their everyday lives and, mm. and being in an academic platform, even though it's so wonderful and I loved the research and I loved, you know, learning from other researchers, it w- I wasn't able to support people that I felt needed it most. Um, mm. And so that was quite important to me. Well, thank goodness to everyone that you decided to do that. And the final question that I like to ask all of my guests is if you could recommend two things that people could do to improve their well-being, and they can be absolutely anything at all, what would they be? I'm going to talk a little bit more about mindset things, maybe. Um, I would say, you know, build your skill power, stop relying on your willpower as a mean of achieving, achieving your goals. Um, and I would also say, you know, it's time that people stop punishing themselves with the yeah. idea that there's such a perfect way of changing their lives. And actually, you know, give yourself the grace and the support to find your own way and, and be forgiving in your failures. Look to learn from your failures, because ultimately, and this is the conclusion of one of our research studies, was failure is success if you can learn from it. And so it's a huge and important part of your health behavior change. Oh, wow. I love that. Failure is success if you can learn from it. Yeah, that's a really nice way to frame it, I think, because we are often very hard on ourselves. And if people would like to uh, follow you and see what you're doing, what's the best place for them to find you? I think the best place is probably my website, so um, bitesizehabits.co, um, and um, that's where people can get all the little freebies and the, the free five-day challenge, um, and that will give people the best insight into um, into my work right now. Great. Excellent. And obviously, I will put a link in the show notes. And Heather, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking with you today, and I feel like I've learned something too, so that's always a good yeah. result. <laughs> Thank you. And thank you um, yeah, for asking such incredible questions. I, I think you've evoked all, all, all that there is, um, you know, uh, uh, to talk about beautiful, healthy habits. So thank you for your time. And that was Dr. Heather McKee with insightful advice on making lasting healthy habit changes. I do hope that you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, It will help people find my podcast and I'm always really grateful for that. You can subscribe to Vibrant Lives Podcast on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts and also on YouTube. Please follow me on Instagram at Vibrant underscore Lives underscore Podcast or on Facebook at Vibrant Lives Podcast. If you'd like to contact me and talk about anything raised in any of my episodes, you can do so on the contacts page on my website. And also, if you feel like supporting the podcast, for which I'd be extremely grateful, you can have a look at the Be Involved page on my website. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
Eat well, move well, think well.